Welcome to the Renal Diet Headquarters Podcast with your host, Mathia Ford, CEO of Renal Diet Headquarters. This is our weekly talk about how you can succeed with a kidney diet. Brought to you by RenalDietHQ.com, a website whose mission is to be the most valued resource on kidney disease that people can use to improve their health. This week, I spoke with Gail Ray Garwood of www.gail-ray.com. She tells me about how devastating her diagnosis was of chronic kidney disease and what she did about it. She also shows that you can do a lot if you set your mind to it. I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Renal Diet Headquarters podcast. And this week, I'm interviewing Gail, and she is going to talk to us about her journey with chronic kidney disease and how she has found an outlet for helping other people through her program called Slow It Down. So, Gail, first I wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I am originally a New Yorker. Now I live in Arizona. I have two biological children, two stepdaughters, and their significant others. I was married in April and left February. I retired from college teaching. Before that, I taught high school for many, many years. And I also retired from acting in March of last year. And now I write and I am a chronic kidney disease awareness activist, which is my passion. When I was diagnosed in 1960, uh, excuse me, when I was age 60, which was seven years ago, I didn't know what the doctor was talking about when she said um, she thought I had chronic kidney disease. And this is how I got the title of my book. Uh, My first questions were, what is that and how do I get it? And she said, early stage Mm -hmm. chronic kidney disease. So that's where the title came from. Mm -hmm. And um, she got me to a nephrologist the very next day. Now, you know, you know, if you get to see a specialist the next day, there's something wrong. So (laughs) I I went and I spoke with him and he explained, explained, explained. And I was so shocked that all I could think of was he wants me to ask him questions. I think I'm going to die. I need to find out more about this. And he, he, he was really trying to tell me more about it, but I was just too shocked to hear a thing he was saying. But I've been um, um, a nonfiction writer for about 20 years, probably more by now, and that requires a lot of research. So I started researching, and I learned more and more and more and more. And the more I learned, the better I felt about being stuck with this particular disease and understanding that I'm not going to die right away. I'll die like everybody else is dying. Right. And that I could slow it down. And that there was so much I could do for this disease. And then I became angry when I realized that if I had been diagnosed earlier, I could have started slowing it down earlier. And that's when I made the decision that I was going to take all my research and turn it into a book and publish it and put it on for sale and and, um, talk about it everywhere I could. But then I got a call from a doctor in India 
who explained to me that his patients can't afford my book, even the electronic version, which is under $10. So I talked with him a little bit and he explained that they don't even have the money to get to the clinic half the time. They're so poor. So what we, we worked out is that I would start a blog and I would publish each chapter of the book as a blog entry. He would download it, translate it, and put it in his waiting room. And then I got to thinking about other people who might not be able to afford the book. And I started working with um, Arizona Kidney and Hypertension Control Centers, uh, clinic rather, and um, we worked out a deal where there were flyers in every single one of their offices. And then I realized that people were taking the book because I put a, a copy of the book in each office too. And the doctors were getting dismayed about that, or I should say the office staff. But my response was, no, 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 you have the wrong idea. If they take a book, I will just replace it. You just let me know. Mm -hmm. They got tired of letting me know. So then I said, okay, this really isn't working. i got to find another way of getting this information out there. So that's when I continued the blog and continued the blog and continued the blog, which is still going today. And I started using Facebook and I started using Twitter to, to post tidbits about chronic kidney disease and related diseases. Because okay. I still felt it wasn't enough and I didn't know what to do with it. And, and then I took a class in um, of leadership and it got me to thinking, oh, one of, the, one of the parts of the class was you had to do a project. So I started thinking about, okay, well, what do I want to do for a project? Well, I live in Arizona. There are many, many Native American tribes here, and they have a higher risk for CKD. Mm -hmm. I contacted a bunch of kidney educators who were trained and were willing to work for free, and we got them on the Salt River Pima Maricopa Reservation for a series of classes. And then we did a, um, we started doing, um, I guess I called medical fairs and exposing people to chronic kidney disease in that way. And I'm always looking for outlets. Like, where can I find a community to bring this education? Who needs mm -hmm. this education? You know, and you know yourself as, as a, um, a renal dietitian that blacks are high risk, uh, Native mm -hmm. Americans, as I mentioned, Hispanics, mm -hmm. and now people over 60. So everywhere right. you look. You know, there's 59% of United States people are are, um, are at risk for this disease. And almost nobody's ever heard of it. I mean, I consider myself an educated person. And as I said, my reaction when the doctor talked to me about this was, <laughs> literally, if I'd been less polite, it would have been, what are you talking about? I never heard of that before. That is a wonderful story of kind of how you took that frustration and um, turned it into something that's useful. I, it's so funny because that is the experience I think of so many people that they just are so angry that they had the lab tests done before they had the information. The doctor had the information that could have told them they were in stage two or stage one. And they never knew and then they get that first that first feeling is that anger that why didn't they tell me that I was getting this and you know here I am all of a sudden I'm in stage three or I'm in stage four and I feel like it's 
at that point they feel like it's a ball snowball rolling down a hill, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be, but that's how you feel initially, I think. So, oh, yeah. And at uh, this time, one of my children was living in upstate New York, and the other one was living in Staten Island, and I'm here in Arizona. And mm-hmm. I, I hadn't met my husband yet, and I figured, okay, so how long do I have to hide my impending death from the kids? I mean, I, I really had so little information that I right. thought I was going to die right away. So I want to go back and try to think about how some of your history kind of fits into what you decided to do with what you, with your knowledge base. So you said you were a teacher in college. What did you teach in college? Oh, I taught everything from um, writing to American literature to uh, research writing to um ancient history literature, always in the literature and the the uh, language arts. So how do you think that that, uh, obviously, how long were you a teacher? Oh, gosh, I started <laughs> when I was, uh, let's see, I started teaching high school when I was 22, I believe I was, and mm-hmm. I retired from that at 55 and started teaching college and taught college until I was 66. So that's a long time of teaching. That's a long, always yeah. English. Yeah. So that it was just a natural outlet for you to write, to research, and to write to go to that. Well, when I was teaching say? in a, a vocational technical high school in Staten Island, um, when my my children were fairly little, the little one was probably ten, the youngest, um, I was asked to write study guides for the school. So I did that. Then they asked me to write for um, the in-house borough high school newspapers. So I did that. And then my English supervisor asked me if I would like to write uh, study guides. So I started doing that for a, a publishing company. And then there were study guides for the state tests. And then they were how-tos, and then my students got word that I was writing educational texts, and they told me what they wanted. So mm-hmm. I brought that to my publisher, and we started doing things uh, that they wanted, like what do the literary terms mean and why they used humanistic psychology series. It just kept snowballing. It's like, oh, you want something written? Uh, you need it researched? Call Gail. She'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was a single parent, so I would do it. I needed the money. Oh, I I love research and stuff and just finding out more and digging in deeper. So that's absolutely, I totally understand that. And especially when I know that it's going to help somebody to be able to explain it. Like I went into a deep depth about this. I kept getting questions about grapefruit and why I couldn't have grapefruit on my diet and, or can I have grapefruit and, why couldn't I? And then there was this thing that came out where they put a bunch more drugs on the list of things you shouldn't have with grapefruit. And so I went into this whole extensive <laughs> article on why, what it is about grapefruit that causes you to not, that affects these medications. And actually, it's probably the opposite of what a lot of people think. People think it probably makes it less available in your system. But what it actually does is it makes you absorb more so it can affect your dosage. So you may get too much of the drug most of the time anyway. But and, and I know what you be, mean. 
so careful as CKD patients because our kidneys are slowed down and we don't have as much function and some drug that somebody else can take, you have to adjust the dosage for us because it stays in the body longer and um, that means that it's working harder in our bodies, which may not be what we need at all. Right. You have to be very careful with the telling your doctor, hey, is this going to affect my kidneys? Because sometimes I think they don't even remember all of it, you know? Yeah, I, I can remember easily. Uh, I was hospitalized, for not hospitalized, emergency room for a bladder infection that I didn't know that I had. I just knew I was feeling really, really bad. And I couldn't uh-huh. get to any doctors at all because, of course, it was Friday at 7 o'clock at night. <laughs> and they gave me sulfur drugs. And I said, wait, I can't take sulfur drugs. You know, speak mm-hmm. to my nephrologist. I can't take sulfur drugs. And they mm-hmm. absolutely refused to believe me. Finally got to my nephrologist who said, no, she can't take sulfur drugs. And as of that point, I started wearing um, a medical alert bracelet that says I have chronic kidney disease. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Excellent idea. There's a blog about that one, too. I have covered any and every topic that comes to my mind. Like, uh, oh, gosh, I was talking about sleep apnea and the effects of sleep apnea on CKD and and, um, on your, why it could be life-threatening. I am so enjoying blogging. I am so enjoying researching. Um, I started writing a fiction must be five, six years ago, and I pick it up periodically, and it suddenly came to me that what I'm enjoying about this is the researching more than the writing. So tell me about your acting career. That was a lot of fun. I was very, very shy, uh, painfully shy in high school. Uh And then in college, uh, I seemed to work it out because I was studying to be a teacher, and you have to... You have to student teach, which means getting up in front of classes, and you have to practice teaching your classroom. And then when I got to grad school, I realized that um, I'm still shy. Even though I'm a teacher, I'm still shy. So I took a couple of acting courses, and I absolutely loved it. And I started going on auditions. I was in New York then, so I started going on auditions for the small off-off-Broadway theaters. And I remember one of my classmates being outraged. What gives you right? Who do you think you are? And I just turned around and said to her, they have the ability to say no to me. It's not such a big deal. And they didn't say no. I got role after role after role, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, um, oh, I remember one time I was standing at the tickets booth on Broadway, and this fellow comes running up to me, and he says, at that time, my name was Gail Horn. He says, Gail Horn, Gail Horn, I want your autograph. And I looked behind me to see who he was talking to because I didn't realize <laughs> that, you know, that I was that well-known. So I've had a lot of, modicum of success in that. And um, as I got older and I found that it was really hard to keep the whole play in my head, the whole script, I started mm-hmm. doing movies because with movies, you shoot one scene at a time. So you memorize right. one shoot scene, you shoot it. And then when they're done, you memorize another scene, you shoot that. But now I'm tired. And I, I don't know if it's age or the chronic kidney disease mm-hmm. or who knows what. Well, I just, I see how you being a teacher and you having done some acting kind of lends to your, like some of the things that you talked about, like putting your flyers in offices and talking to these groups and the projects and not being afraid of going out there and feeling like 
you know, this is really a cause that needs to be fought for, which is something I absolutely believe in, too. I mean, I think the statistics are that about 10% of people in the United States have some stage of chronic kidney disease. And yet, like you said, very few people even know. And it seems to be just this hidden disease, I think, but... But it seems to me that you that the acting and the teaching kind of go hand in hand, and and obviously they did. But you just it just seems really clear to me why you're doing what you do because you're so in love with it and you're excited about doing it. But you also have that little bit of boldness that it takes to stand up in front of an audience and say, well, I'm, I'll be, "I'm not afraid." I'll be perfectly honest. Um, I I am passionate about. Um, chronic kidney disease awareness, but when I became this kind of bold that you're talking about was as a single parent. It suddenly Uh occurred to me that I am in charge of these children that I brought into the world, and I need to uh, protect them, and I need to promote them to themselves, Mm -hmm. and that kind of belief in themselves, I mean, both my daughters have it, my, my biological daughters, the ones I raised. They mm-hmm. both feel the same. One of them is uh, a blogger for her causes, and the other one is uh, she's got a straight job during the day, and at night and on weekends she teaches dance because she's just passionate about that. So they mm-hmm. each have their passions, and I think it's the passion that gives you the freedom to go ahead and do these things more than the training. They are passionate, and that's what I right. see as the big difference. Although I have to agree with you, that my training helped a lot. It made it easy for me to just fall right into the role without saying, can I, should I, will I be a success? I mean, I didn't really care. I just right. went and, in and did it. And you're you're 100% right when you say, you know, you don't have to be trained. And it doesn't matter if you were a teacher or you were a stay-at-home mom or you were, you know, worked behind a counter your whole life or something like that the minute you get passion for something, there's very little that stands in your way to how you're going to make it happen. (laughs) I'll use parents because that's my my best example, having been a single parent, you know, Mm -hmm. feeling how important it was that I played both roles, the father and the mother, and Mm -hmm. becoming 100%, taking on 100% responsibility for everything I taught my children. You know, not, not well, their dad will teach them this, but 100% responsibility. Right. I, I can see just how passionate you can become. And I'm sure that there are people who have no children, but they have a cause, or they have a thought, or they have an invention, or they have um, a new way of doing something that can better the earth. I'm sure that they are just as passionate as parents are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but that's... Oh, a good example. I understand. Um, so, Gail, tell me a little bit about what you find to be your your struggles with kidney disease. And I, I know you write about them on your blog, but and I did read your one about sleep apnea, and I read about how you wrote this week that I'm tired. And, um, but tell us a little bit about your struggles, because I'm sure there's struggles that other people feel, but sometimes we think that we're the only ones. Well, I think so, as a, um, a renal dietitian, you'll understand this one. Um, people always come to me with food advice. If you'll mm-hmm. only eat a healthy diet, 
Mm-hmm. Only eat fresh. Only eat organic. Oh, you got to have meat. Five ounces is nothing. Or um, what do you mean you can't have this? You can't have that. It's so wealthy. Um, I actually mm-hmm. wrote a blog called um, A Healthy Diet is Not Necessarily a Renal Diet. And it was... <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I just, I just, sometimes I get tired of explaining over and over again, which I know is not very generous because I'm not always explaining to the same people, but it's sort right. of like, you know, you, you eat, you, another person, eats in a way that's healthy for you. As a renal patient, there are certain things I can do and certain things I can't do. And who I find the most patient are the waiters when I go out to eat. Because mm. I, I quiz them unmercifully. And mm-hmm. they are wonderfully patient. One of them, kidding around, said to me, is this a math test? <laughs> <laughs> they are adorable. And the other one, obviously, is uh, being tired. Uh, I'm pretty much high-powered. I mean, you can tell I was, oh, as a single parent, I had a full-time job as a high school teacher. And mm-hmm. I had five rotating part-time jobs. Mm-hmm. And I had my children one who required medical attention, and one who just wanted to live a quote-unquote normal life. So this took a lot of energy, and I did it. Mm-hmm. And then when the kids were grown and on their own, I still had four jobs. I had the acting, the teaching, the writing, one, two, three, something's missing. Oh, the, the chronic kidney disease activism, which is not really a job, right. but it requires a lot of time input. And I was doing fine until I started noticing I'm getting more and more tired. <laughs> and I'm, I realized I'm also getting more and more older. <laughs> yeah. Um, little things like, um, you know, I know I have to exercise 30 minutes a day. Well, as an older person, there are bone spurs that would never be there before, and they get in the way. Like somebody said yeah. to me, well, why don't you just, oh, one of the kids said to me, well, why don't you just walk? He used to love walking. Come on, you can't be that lazy. I said, no, yeah. I'm not lazy. My foot hurts. And then she said, so go take it, have it taken care of. Well, her father, who was my husband, unfortunately, and I shouldn't laugh about this, he had surgery uh, three months ago to have three fractures and a tendon repaired in his foot. And we knew it was going to be a six-month recovery. It was going to be painful. So I just looked at her and I said, we thought it would be a good idea if one of us could walk. Right. (laughs) One of us has to be able to drive the car and take the other one around. Yeah. But, you know, thank goodness they're they're all healthy. They're all doing well. And there's no reason they should have to understand the the problems of um, chronic illnesses or older age. They'll, they'll get there in their own good time. Yeah, they'll get there, yeah. They're probably tired because do they have children? Mm-mm. No grandkids, just grand animals. Oh. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm tired because I have two children and they just take up a lot of energy. So I figure I always blame them for being tired. But um, <laughs> So what, what part of kidney disease, and I, you know, I would agree with the food advice thing with kidney disease, you know, fat is actually in some ways your friend because it doesn't have potassium, it doesn't have phosphorus, it doesn't have protein, but it has calories. It it has calories, but you know, sometimes it's 
it's so funny because you just can, sometimes you can add a little bit of that and uh, it'll help, but people say, oh, that's not healthy, but I know what you mean. And, <laughs> it does, and you, you have the fruits and vegetables that you have to limit and, or try to limit. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be perfectly happy living on fruits, vegetables, and grains, but I can't. I yeah. mean, three, three servings of fruit and three vegetables, uh, each with different uh, sizes of the servings, is not enough to get you through the day. So um, tell us what part of kidney disease that you find, the or chronic kidney disease, that you find the most frustrating. Well, we talked about diet. We talked about tiredness. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the numbers. I'm not really a numbers person. And as I described in the book, I actually made myself a little chart because I couldn't keep it straight. Of everything that I ate until I got a, a pretty good idea in my head of what it was worth, I would write down the sodium in it, the potassium, the protein, and the phosphorus, and the mm-hmm. calories. And then I would also watch my, uh, not watch, list my fats and my coffee, my saving grace is 16 ounces of coffee a day. Mm-hmm. And when I drink my coffee, I feel like I'm having an ice cream sundae with whipped cream and a cherry on top. I don't do any sweets. Uh, I don't do any fries. Rather, I don't consume any sweets or fries. I don't make myself crazy looking for hidden sugar because I have this number problem. And I do find that as I get older uh, and continually get older and older, I'm, I'm gyrating much more to the fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. which surprises me because I'm the, the granddaughter of a, a Russian miller and bread was my staple, my elixir, the, the staff yeah. of life for me. So numbers are frustrating for you. What's, what, do, what do you really, what's working well for you right now with your kidney disease besides your coffee kind of being your saving grace? Um, the exercise had been working well for me until I started, as I said, injuring this, that, and the other thing. And I still manage to get in half an hour um, most days of the week. I had been a dancer, going dancing several times a week, um, East Coast swing dancing. And I was I was very sad to find that I couldn't do that anymore because of the bones first. Mm-hmm. My daughter, who teaches dance, teaches something called um, the blues. And the, the weight of your body is pretty much on the toes of your feet during the blues. And mm-hmm. I find that I can dance that without any pain. So every Sunday night, I go down to where she teaches, and there's an hour and a half lesson. And then the regulars dance with the new people and dance with the other regulars. I'm usually there for about a simple two hours. And this is half an hour away. But it's it's wonderful. It's so joyous. So that's working for me. You know, that kind of exercise I absolutely love. I would love to get back to walking. And um, I'm pretty sure that after my husband heals, I will have my foot looked at because I used to take my dog and we would go into the Arroyo and just walk. And I'd listen to music and we'd just walk and walk and walk. And it was such fun. Mm-hmm. So you said that type of dance is called blues? B-L-U-E-S? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Oh, yes, look it up um, if there's blues dancing in your area. And usually, you know, people say, oh, the blues, well, that's not sexy dance. I can't do that. Well, I am 67. My daughter is the teacher, and I'm dancing the blues. I'm loving dancing the blues. It's fun. It's 
pretty easy, and you get a lot of exercise in. I mean, I come out uh, and wet, so I know I'm getting a really good workout, and it's a heck of a lot more than fun than than doing my walking tapes, which are not bad, and um, I do that rather than walking because I do it on a an inch pad foam rubber. Okay. Or riding the bike, uh, which is actually getting to be painful, not just for the heel spur, but the knees and the hips. Ah, uh, okay. So I, I kind of knew things might go awry as I got older, but I didn't expect it to happen all at once. <laughs> well, and you you got to watch like your Advil and your um, NSAIDs, your non-steroidal inflammatories, because those hurt your kidneys. So well, you I don't can't really that. take a lot of... Yeah, you, you really can't. Um, I, so, I remember um, when I was first diagnosed, uh, this nephrologist who I'd never met before kept insisting that it was because I, too, I took too many Advil. I just looked at him. I kept saying, I don't take pills if I can avoid it. And he, he was really, really adamant. Somehow he magically disappeared from the practice. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, basically without the pills, you, you have to be careful about not injuring yourself because like, I mean, even now, these bone, bone, bone spurs should not hurt. I mean, they're in places right. that are difficult, but I really shouldn't be feeling them, but I can't take that Advil. And there's, there's one in my one bone spur in my back that hits nerves that go all around to my ribs, so I'll, I'll walk around with rib pain. And there's not much I can do about it except learn to live with it. Well, um, you know, something you said earlier kind of triggered me to – I made a little note to remind me to ask you about it um, – you you said a couple times like you were trying to hide your impending death or you were, you know, researching how you were going to keep from dying right now. And then you realize you're not going to die right now. How does that, do you think that that's a common feeling? Yes, I do. I think that people are, are absolutely shocked by this news when they get it. Mm-hmm. And I think that many people don't ask questions and don't do the research and are are so disturbed that they don't really listen to the nephrologists and they do believe that they're going to die. And I, I don't mean the fatalistic, oh, I have a disease, I'm going to die. I mean, they, right. they honestly believe they're going to die right away. And that's another reason that I feel it is so important to educate people about what they can do to slow down the decline of their kidney function. I mean, there's one fellow who is not a friend. I, I have not met him personally. Uh, he's my childhood buddy's best friend. And he has chronic kidney disease. And he does nothing that I do or that I recommend in the book. And, and my friend has given him the book and, and read to him from the blog. And she says he's, he's just about dead. He can barely breathe. He can barely walk. And I'm saying Mm -hmm. to myself, this is a man all age. One thing I have is vitality. Now, I may be slower than I used to be, and I may not be able to exercise as much, but I sure have vitality. Mm -hmm. Tired and all. I have the the will, the life force, and he's snuffing his out. It's it's not necessary. Yeah, sometimes I think getting diagnosed with a chronic disease can make you, you... You do go through those stages of grief. You just have to hopefully get past them because you do feel that anger you feel that depression you feel that um you know bargaining okay what if I do my diet perfect can we make this go away and so I know what you mean but I I agree that's 
that's a feeling that I think a lot of people feel they, they don't understand and they get, they go to see doctors and they're afraid to ask because they're afraid that they're going to look stupid. I don't know if that's the right word, but they're afraid they're going to look like they don't know, which they don't. Well, I and, think a lot of people also don't want the answers. It's well, just, they feel better off not knowing. That's possible. If you don't know, then maybe you don't have to deal with it. That's an I, and I also, thought. you know, I have to agree with you about the, the seven steps of grief, but I, five steps rather. But I also feel that um, there's nothing wrong with helping people through it. Now, if they don't want the help, okay, you know, you can't oh, force absolutely. them. But why not help? I mean, isn't that what we're here for, to help each yeah, other? Yeah, we have to help each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel it's uh. really important. And, and um, you know, deep down inside, if you scratch my surface really, really deep, I do believe that we're here to help each other. Because if we're not, what are we here for? So this so- is my way of helping other people. That's what I was just getting ready to ask you about. So tell me about your Slow It Down program because you've talked a little bit about your book and um, kind of how you've made it available via your blog and people can um, get it that way. But what about your Slow It Down programs where you're going out and or you have kidney educators that are going out? Tell me about that. Okay. I, I just this afternoon made myself a nut job by deciding that I had to update the website so that I could give you the address so people could take a look at the website and contact us about getting these trained chronic kidney disease educators into Mm -hmm. their neighborhoods and their communities for free. And when I say communities, I don't mean like geographic communities. I mean like um, uh, the Native American community, the Burmese community, the Christian community, the geriatric community, you know, whatever your particular community is. And right. uh, before we go any further, I want to give you the website so that my afternoon was well spent. And that is uh, www.gail-rae.com. Okay. And I'll put that uh, in the show notes, too. Okay. It's not perfect yet, but at least you can navigate and uh, you can figure out there's lots of ways to get in touch with us. So what I did was I was taking this leadership class and um, the idea of the class for me was I felt I wasn't doing enough with the, the chronic kidney disease awareness. Like I wanted to, to, to somehow find more ways, better ways, more effective ways of getting this education out there. And, and as I mentioned in the class, you have to do a project. So the project that I did was um, slow it down. And I kept thinking, they asked, what's the name of the project? And I didn't have a name. I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I thought about the kidney disease, and I said, slow it down. And then I figured, ooh, well, we can really use that as a name. Just use it as one word and put the capitals in there. So that's what I did. Now, what I did as my project is I contacted, oh, boy, I went through everybody. I went through the CDC. I went through the the, um, uh, the NIH. I went through NIKJD. I went through um, American Kidney Fund. I went through National Kidney Foundation. And I found people who didn't know me from a hole in the wall, who directed me to other people that might be helpful. And if these other people weren't helpful, then they suggested 
even other people. So it was a lot of figuring out what I was doing and how I was doing it, and a lot of people helping, people who didn't even know me. So I'm really thankful mm-hmm. for that. And then I contacted, I was looking for kidney educators because, you know, I know about it, but I'm not trained to educate. Yeah, I'm a teacher, and yeah, I have chronic kidney disease, but there's so much I don't know. So I called this group and that group and the other group and the other group, and they just absolutely were not interested. And then I called Annette Fulmer from the local um, Arrowhead DeVita Center, uh, which is actually a dialysis center. And Uh I said, you know, I know you're a dialysis center, but I have this idea. What do you think? And her reaction was, your timing couldn't have been better because DeVita now wants to go into community outreach We want to teach people how to prevent themselves from going on dialysis. In other words, how to slow down the chronic kidney disease and how to recognize it. So that worked perfectly. And she has been um, on the reservation with me several times and we've gone to health fairs and um, she's been instrumental in organizing her trainers. She does the training a lot of times. She's brought uh, her nurse Cheryl with her. And we're getting the word out there as fast as we can. It seems to have developed that she is the education component, and I'm I'm the locator. I find the groups that need our help okay. or want our help, or, or we think should know about our help. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's unfortunate that I keep banging on doors and getting no response or, or very little response. Because there are so many, many groups out there. But that's not going to deter me. I'm just going to keep knocking on doors. And by that, I'm, I'm being figurative. I mean, I do most of this through the telephone and the computer. Yeah, no, I know you do. <laughs> I have the vision of, of me knocking on doors with my, my little um, chart saying, okay, do you know about CKD? Yeah, so people can... Um contact you and it doesn't matter the community they don't have to be in Arizona or what nope this is national um I had tried for international and she explained to me that we they they don't have trainers in other countries only here in the United States and then I I got an email from a reader in Germany who said he was having a really hard time locating any kind of kidney education and he looked up Kidney education, free kidney, uh, not free, but he looked up kidney education, chronic kidney disease education in his country. <laughs> My book came up. <laughs> oh, wow. And then the Indian doctor I told you about, same thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm gratified, but I wish there was more. I mean, there are people all over the world that need more. And then somebody said to me, aren't you a famous author? Aren't you rich now? And I said, yeah, I'm rich in telephone numbers. I'm rich in people to contact on the computer. I'm rich in people who would like a complimentary copy of the book. I mean, I'm retired, and this is my retirement job. And every cent that I get from the book goes right back into publicizing chronic kidney awareness. So I'm kind of in the hole, but I felt like, so what? It's my money. I can do what I want with it, and this is what I want to do with it. Retirement's just an opportunity to do something that you love. You know, uh-huh. I mean, I'm sure you loved being a teacher and you loved acting too, but you obviously have a passion for this, um, teaching people, making them aware about chronic kidney disease. So, 
Yeah. I mean, if, if we can, I mean, it's not a little dramatic here, but if we can save a bunch of people from having to go through dialysis or even having to go through the latter stages of kidney disease by simple prevention and simple identifying via the blood tests and the urine tests who right. has a disease and who doesn't. Well, in a way, the world is going to be a better place because you can have fewer sick people in it. I keep telling people I am not going to progress to dialysis. And it's right. not because I'm going to die. It's going to be because I'm one of the 80% of people with chronic kidney disease who have learned to manage it so I can slow down the progression. Okay. Well, thanks, Gail, for um, talking to me today. And I uh, I really appreciate what you're doing and your message. And I'm glad that you took the time to come on to the podcast because I think it's a very important message. And the more people, just like you said, people getting blood tests, people asking their doctor, can I see my results? A lot of people, the doctor says, oh, your cholesterol labs were fine. And they don't even know what all blood tests their doctor did. And they don't know all the different numbers that might be just slightly out of whack. You know, it's it's one of those things where the awareness is very important. Oh, yeah. So. And A1C. I mean, how many people with chronic kidney disease know to look for that? Well, diabetes is the... the I'm, I'm floundering. It's a huge yeah, contributor. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, the leading cause of chronic kidney disease, and if you already right. have chronic kidney disease and your A1C goes up indicating diabetes, then you got CKD and diabetes and blood pressure. Do you know that 42% of the black population has high blood pressure? That blew me away. And that's the second leading cause of chronic kidney disease. The problem with having diabetes and chronic kidney disease is that it's already hard enough to follow a diabetic diet and then you add some of the restrictions of a chronic kidney disease and it just feels feels difficult feels very um difficult to manage i'm not going to say it's impossible because it's not because there's lots of people that do it but it makes it difficult i went to my uh dietitian my renal dietitian and she's got me on the renal diet the northern arizona council renal diet and I told her that I'm pre-diabetic and I wanted to go on a diet for that. And I wanted to go gluten-free. And she laughed. So I said, why are you laughing? She said, there's nothing left for you to eat, Gail. Well, there you have it. Gail, thank you very much for coming on the show today. And um, I want to thank you for listening. Thanks a lot for being here this week. I look forward to talking to you again next week and next week we're going to talk about healthy heart and high cholesterol high blood pressure issues so i want to sign off with that and if you would like to get notification of new podcasts go on over to our website at renaldiethq.com forward slash go forward slash email and you can sign up for our email list and get a um, notification. Thanks. Have a good day. Bye-bye.